Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, the Minneapolis teen who captured the death of George Floyd on her cell phone is receiving a National Courage Award. The state of Minnesota launches a hiring initiative for emergency staffing assistance related to COVID-19. And an update from former Golden Gopher women's hockey player Patty Marshall of Thief River Falls, who now plays professional hockey in Sweden. But first... Presidential campaigns are at fever pitch with just days till the 2020 election in Minnesota and neighboring Wisconsin are seeing a good piece of the action as battleground states. MNN's Bill Werner recaps with goings-on through our Thursday night deadline as Minnesotans waited for campaign stops by both President Trump and challenger Joe Biden. It is great to be back in the North Star states. Vice President Mike Pence's opening push this final week of the campaign included a stop at Hibbing Airport. For the boundless prosperity of the Iron Range and for strength for all of American industry, we need four more years of President Donald Trump in the White House. Pence came to the state amid reports that his chief of staff has COVID-19. Instead of doing the responsible thing and pulling down the event, here they come to have another super spreader event in the state of Minnesota. DFL party chairman Ken Martin. Fueling Republicans' last-minute campaign push are the polls, some of which showed President Trump statistically neck-and-neck with Democratic challenger Joe Biden. I think Minnesota is uh, up for grabs. Carleton College political analyst Stephen Shear. I don't think it's quite clear how Minnesota will go. It's a dead heat. Uh, the reason I say this is that... Um, the last public poll uh, in 2016 had Hillary up 10 points, and she ended up winning by 1.52%. Well, the recent polls we've been seeing show that uh, Biden is up by maybe five or six points. So uh, that suggests to me, based on what happened in 2016, that this race is up for grabs in Minnesota. This is the best opportunity that Republicans have had to deliver our electoral vote to a Republican candidate for president in certainly what is my lifetime. Says Minnesota GOP Chair Jennifer Carnahan. DFL Chair Martin responds. There's no amount of uh, visits in the Minnesota by Donald Trump that will change the fact that his policies have, have been just an absolute unmitigated disaster. You're going to see a giant red wave on Tuesday. You're going to see a red wave like they've never seen before, and they saw a very big one. I'll tell you what, they got a glimpse on four years ago. President Trump paid extra attention not only to Minnesota, but also Wisconsin this week, starting with a rally right across the border in La Crosse, hitting media markets in both states. This election is a choice between a Trump super recovery or a Biden depression. That's what you're going to have with a raise of taxes. It's a choice between a Trump boom or a Biden lockdown. It's Trump's ineptitude that caused us to shut down the economy. His mismanagement of COVID-19 has exacerbated this administration's failures. DFL Chair Martin, the president, blasted local officials' response to riots in Minneapolis and said, we saved Kenosha, Wisconsin by sending in the National Guard. Biden stands with the rioters and I stand with the heroes of law enforcement 
And you know what? They can do their job very easily. Just let them do their job. Democrat Biden contends systemic racism must end or violence will continue. Minneapolis Police Union this week asked retired officers to help serve as eyes and ears at polling places in problem areas across the city on Election Day. Minnesota Secretary of State Steve Simon responded, Minnesota law is clear about that. Any challenges to a voter or the voter's eligibility have to be made based on personal knowledge. That's the exact phrase, personal knowledge. Not a whim, not a hunch, not a guess, and certainly not because they live in a so-called problem area. Secretary Simon says under Minnesota law, each major political party is allowed only one person to watch at each polling place, and that person must be designated in writing. The battle continued this week in federal court on whether the state can count absentee ballots postmarked by Election Day but received as much as one week later. Opponents say it's unconstitutional and could cause chaos. Supporters of extending the deadline warned changing it less than a week before the election will disenfranchise voters who had been relying on their ballot instructions. And amid that and other legal wrangling this week before the election, four Minnesota governors, Tim Walls, Mark Dayton, Tim Pawlenty, and Jesse Ventura, launched a video PSA calling for civility and decency in the upcoming election and assuring Minnesotans their ballots are safe, even though results could be delayed. Make your voice heard and vote. Vote. Go vote. With so many of us voting by mail, it may take a little longer to verify a winner. And that's okay. It's by design. A delay just means our system is working and that we're counting every single ballot. Former Governor Dayton says there may not be a clear winner on election night, but he says that Minnesotans can have faith that their votes will be counted. And Scott, the question now is how soon will we know the final results in Minnesota and nationally? Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Presidential campaigns are at fever pitch. Tim Veldy is a Minnesota farmer from Henley Falls and director on a rural electric co-op board. Rural electric co-ops were formed to provide electricity to rural Minnesota when no one else would do it and have now gone into trying to get broadband across rural Minnesota. Small businesses and students rely on it, especially now. When Congress put all that at risk with the tax law that ended up hurting rural communities, Senator Smith was the first person we went to. Senator Smith listened to us, understood our problem, crafted a bill and got it passed and signed into law with bipartisan support. Senator Smith was instrumental in saving economic development for rural Minnesota families. Senator Smith is great to work with. She wants to understand the problem. She wants to fix the problem. I'm Tina Smith, candidate for U.S. Senate, and I approve this message. Paid for by Tina Smith for Minnesota. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. Darnella Frazier, the Minneapolis teenager who captured cell phone video of George Floyd's killing by police, is receiving an award for courage from the literary and human rights organization PEN America. I recently spoke with PEN CEO Suzanne Nossel about the award and what it means. Every year we hold a big gala event uh, in New York City and we give out an award known as the Penn Benenson Freedom of Expression Courage Award. And we use that award to spotlight an individual or individuals who have shown 
bravery in the exercise of their expressive rights. So we gave it one year to the surviving staff of the Charlie Hebdo magazine in France after 12 of their colleagues were murdered in an incident that erupted because the magazine had published controversial cartoons. We gave it to two women in Flint, Michigan, who are at the forefront of exposing the scandal of the tainted water there. Last year, we gave it to Anita Hill for her role so many years ago in catalyzing the opportunity for women to speak out about issues of sexual harassment and sort of setting in motion what would later become the Me Too movement. So we look to highlight somebody or a group of people that we think have been exceptional in their ability to use free speech rights to effect change and challenge the status quo. And this year, it's going to a Minneapolis teenager. Tell me a little bit about Darnella Frazier and why she was chosen as a recipient for this year. Sure. I mean, you know, Darnella Frazier's act and presence of mind in pulling out her phone and starting her video recorder going as a group of Minneapolis policemen apprehended George Floyd and ultimately murdered him, uh, you know, through a a knee on a neck uh, was just extraordinary. I mean, if you think about a young woman, you know, who's, in, a, in a, a public scene with a whole group of police officers there who has the presence of mind and the gut to, you know, start her camera rolling and say, I'm going to capture this for posterity. You know, I see what's going on and I'm going to take action and to hold to it so steadily for about 10 minutes as this horror unfolded you know, to not flinch, to not think for a minute, you know, maybe they'll turn on me, maybe they'll shove me down, shove my phone away, you know, maybe I could be apprehended for doing this, you know, am I allowed to film the police? You know, all those questions that would course through anyone's mind in that situation, she somehow managed to sort of put aside, and she just did this steady act, and that act, and then her decision to post the video had this, you know, just monumental impact, triggering a whole movement here in the United States that, you know, maybe it would have happened anyway, but I'm not sure because that video, just the the vividness, the brutality, the humanity of what she captured online, I think had everything to do with sort of the depth of feeling and the passion and the anger that was subsequently unleashed. So, you know, and then she, she's this young girl, you know, who, you know, she, was, she wasn't planning on this. She was going to a store with her cousin, you know, on a normal day. Uh, this is not something she had a chance to prepare for or to deliberate over. Uh, she had to act in the moment, and she rose to that occasion. And because of that, you know, we all had a chance to see this, terrifying truth that has forced this society-wide reckoning. So, you know, to us, it was a a perfectly emblematic act. And she also took a lot of flack for it. You know, she was harassed. People accused her of 
asking out for money. They asked, uh, you know, if why she hadn't stepped in to intercede. You know, why didn't she shove the police officer away? You know, uh, thing questions that you know I don't think any teenager, any person who's been through a trauma like that should be asked. And she had to withstand all of that. And you know, we just really wanted to kind of stand by her and say bravo to you. You know, this is the kind of citizenship that we need more of. And I hope that the award gives her a sense that what she did is deeply valued and appreciated. I think, uh, I know it's an understatement to say that she would probably have mixed feelings about, first of all, witnessing such a uh, horrific event, but then also to be uh, awarded for courage for witnessing that event. I'm curious if you can just give me a little bit of insight into what her reaction was when she found out that she uh, was going to be the recipient of this Courage Award. You know, I think she has said that she feels humbled by it. Uh, I think my understanding is she's pleased. You'd really have to ask her in more detail. I mean, our feeling was wanting to say to her that we feel this is an act that deserves to be recognized and celebrated as traumatic as it, as it undoubtedly was. And, you know, we'll, we'll continue to be. I mean, that, that, those moments are going to reverberate for her for the rest of her life. She'll never forget that. Uh, but, you know, she made something of it in a way that I think very few people would have. And we want that aspect of the story to be... Thank you to my guest, Pan America CEO Suzanne Nossel. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Due to COVID-19, the state of Minnesota has launched an urgent hiring initiative to fill a pool of staff available to deploy on short notice to healthcare facility locations around the state that need emergency staffing assistance. Tasha Radel has more. As you may know, Minnesota's nursing homes, assisted living facilities, group homes, and other care providers are facing critical staffing shortages now. In some cases, National Guard members have needed to be called in to help provide assistance in locations without enough staff to care for residents. To be better prepared, the state has launched a new hiring initiative to fill in the crucial gaps across the state. Joining me now is Daniel Pollock, Assistant Commissioner at the State Department of Human Services. Daniel, we've heard in recent days widespread community transmission of COVID-19 is really driving up the numbers and need for emergency care around the state. Absolutely, and you're, you're exactly right. We're seeing a different phase of the pandemic right now. Large-scale community spread in a number of counties around the state is impacting the staff that work in some of the care facilities that serve our most vulnerable adults. And as a result of that, as people are testing positive for COVID, they are having to quarantine for 14 days. And when a large percentage of the staff at a particular provider or facility has to leave for even that short period of time, uh, the facility can be in kind of a, a staff crisis situation. And that crisis, um, if it can't be resolved with uh, backup staff or temporary staff, it can lead to um, the need for National Guard or even evacuation in the worst case scenario. So what we're doing is using resources from the COVID relief fund from the federal government 
to try to hire a fairly large-scale pool of temporary workers, um, which could include people who are currently unemployed and would like to um, get some new skills or um, have an opportunity to serve their community and, and help these, uh, these providers that are in need. Assistant Commissioner, who are you encouraging to apply for these positions? So we're hiring at all skill levels. Certainly we're looking for nurses or LPNs, um, but at the lower skill level, certified nurse assistants, or even what's called direct support staff, which could be somebody who has no license uh, and not a lot of experience in long-term care, but perhaps comes from the service economy, the hospitality industry. Um, somebody who just uh, really wants to be a healthcare hero and is willing to work on the front lines as long as they get uh, PPE and um, some uh, compensation that reflects the the fact that they're doing something that is um, really challenging right now. And so we're paying uh, reimbursement of $25 an hour even for the entry-level positions. Daniel, let's talk a little bit about the time, commitment, and availability that you're looking for. Uh, well, what we're looking for could be very short-term. So uh, this is obviously a pandemic situation. Um, we think things are very bad right now. We expect that to continue through the end of the year. Um, but somebody could commit themselves for a period of four to six weeks and um, really just try this out as a, a short-term measure while they're unemployed. And lastly, would folks be deployed on a day-by-day basis or would it be more long-term? Yeah, thank you. That's a great question. So the State Emergency Operations Center in St. Paul is coordinating deployments based on where the greatest need is. In most cases, people will work at a care facility for up to 14 days because what we want to do is make sure that that location gets stabilized and that their permanent employees are able to return to work. But uh, in some cases, it could be less than 14 days and there is travel involved. Um, We're reimbursing for travel and in some cases, we're providing lodging to these temporary staff as well um, to recognize that they are going to be away from their families and um, they may be on the road quite a bit. Daniel, I have to ask, have you ever seen a need like this before across the state for emergency health care workers? No, I, I really haven't. So I've been in state government for about 15 years. Certainly we've had disasters in the past, and Minnesotans really come together in times of uh, strife. Uh, we've had, you know, tornadoes and floods and occasional uh, care facilities having to be evacuated, but um, nothing of this scale has ever happened in my career. And certainly... Um, this is quite unusual. Normally, the state would not be in a role where we're, um, you know, hiring for this type of work, uh, you know, through through even through vendors. For someone that's listening today across Minnesota and is interested, what is the best way to apply? Well, we have resources for the uh, applications to be submitted. Uh, you can contact the local career force center through the Department of Economic Development. Um, or you can contact the State Emergency Operations Center and just find out how uh, to get involved. Our partner vendors are hiring literally today and for the next couple of weeks. Well, Assistant Commissioner Pollock, we're about out of time. Any final thoughts today? Um, I think I would just add that, you know, it really is a great opportunity to give back um, for anybody who is interested in doing something for their community, for their neighbors. Um, I know it maybe seems like an odd transition to go from working in a restaurant or a hotel to uh, assisted living or long-term care site, but um, we really do need your energy, your passion, and it's an opportunity to, um, to really be a hero. Thanks again to my guest, Daniel Pollock, Assistant Commissioner at the State Department of Human Services. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters returns after this. 
Last night we put on an epic light show. Yeah, we did. The crowd loved us. We love the crowd. Wait, but there were only four people out there. Yeah, but did you see their four faces? All eight of their eyes lit up brighter than ours. <sighs> and we're fireflies. Yeah, we are. Hey, that one girl, she looked like she'd never seen glow in the dark like this before. And we invented glow in the dark. Yeah, we invented it. And we're going to be out here every night rocking out our light show at a forest near you. So come check us out. Check us out. And bring your kid all ages show. Oh, but uh, don't bring any of those glass jars because they make us kind of nervous. Yeah, and I'm super claustrophobic. Whether you're rocking their world or they're rocking yours, some memories never fade. Come alive with the forest. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a forest near you and discover other cool things to do when you go, like fishing, biking, or even camping. Visit discovertheforest.org. See you later. Yeah, see you soon. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Former Golden Gopher women's hockey player Patty Marshall of Thief River Falls is now playing professional hockey for a team called Brinus IF in Yobla, Sweden. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm connected with Marshall via Zoom and talked about how she ended up in the highly accomplished Swedish Women's Hockey League. There's now professional hockey for female athletes and I guess I've just, there's been girls from North America that I've known over the years coming over to Sweden. So I reached out to them, talked to them about what it's like, and uh, they handed over some contacts for me to be able to reach out to some coaches to come over here. Um, there's uh, two other girls in my class, Alex Woken and Katie Robinson. We all kind of wanted to come over here together and play, but um, Woken ended up in Germany and Katie's in Finland. So we all made it, but not on the same team. <laughs> Tell me about the league you play in, uh, How what the level of hockey is like and how much you uh, are or aren't enjoying it. Yeah. Um, so the league I'm in is the SDHL. It, it's just all of Sweden. There's 10 teams in the league. And um, honestly, it's the best female league that you can play in over in Europe right now. Um, all like the Swedish national team players, all the Finnish um, and a lot of countries as in like Czech and Swiss and Austrian. I have um, national team members from those countries on my team as well. So the talent is awesome over here. The league is great. I'm having a great time playing. The style is definitely different than back home, but um, I'm learning and adapting. So it's really fun. And from a from a hockey standpoint, I mean, you think about what hockey you know has brought to someone who grew up in Thief River Falls, Minnesota, and you're getting this experience, and you know, Gopher hockey is taking you around the world, and other international play, and Shattuck, and all of that. I mean, hockey, it, it, you know, to present this opportunity is is pretty cool. Yeah, I, I never pictured that I'd one day be playing in Sweden, especially as a little kid growing up, and. Hockey's taken me a lot of places over the world, so I'm really grateful because I not only get to experience the hockey over here, but just living in a different country as well. Yeah, and I was going to ask about that. So, uh, how is the language barrier? Are you uh, are you getting fluent in uh, in uh, in in the uh, in the local uh, tongue, so to speak? You know, everyone's been asking me that, and I wish I was, but everyone speaks English here, like literally everyone. So, like, I'm super thankful for that, obviously, because it's very easy on me. But I feel like that makes me not learn any Swedish. I'm going to come back after living here for like eight months and not know anything. <laughs> That's pretty good. I, I also have to ask you, uh, of course. 
course, as we are taping this interview here in the U.S., COVID cases again are are on the rise and they're spiking around the country. Uh, Sweden has taken a bit of a different approach. Uh, it's been you know under some scrutiny in the sense that it's been much more wide open. Uh, mass mandates haven't been there. Restaurants have been open, and um, and the cases have been a lot in Sweden as well. But now there's debate as to what the approach is like. So what has it been like for you in Sweden, in that country where where there have been much fewer regulations? Yeah, they have definitely taken a different approach over here. Um, I've been here since August 1st and I've seen two masks, I think, out in public and I've been to Stockholm multiple times. Um, I think the topic's almost avoided here. I've never, no one ever really brings it up in conversation. Um, Everything's open. Actually, this last week, they raised our attendance from 50 people to 300 people now. So we're actually going up. Um, But it's nice for me that I get to play hockey and get to continue on. But uh, a club just closed down for a week because their men's teams player just had a couple positive cases of COVID. So I guess we're going to see how it goes from there. But I know there are now some players in the league who are concerned about games being postponed or canceled. Yeah, and through your experience and, you know, without, you know, I mean, I don't know what the numbers say, but through your own personal anecdotal experience, have there been a lot of cases around you? Are you familiar with people who, who have had to go to the hospital or what have you from uh, from the way Sweden is going about its business here? Or is that just, uh, are you guys kind of living in your own little bubble as a team? Yeah, honestly, it kind of seems like we're in our own little bubble over here. We have a couple of rules at the rink where we, we don't go through and shake hands after games and we're not supposed to celebrate together um, or like we're supposed to get dressed every other in the locker room, but it's really hard to avoid those rules when everyone's such like they're in confined spaces. But um, a player actually in our club tested positive a week ago. So that kind of hit a little closer to home, I think for a lot of people, Um, but they're quarantining and we've had no other positive cases. So, so far it's going really well for us. All right, tell us about how your team's doing and what the league format is. Are you getting close to playoffs, or when will that happen? And are you guys in the thick of a, of a fun chase here? Yeah, so currently my team is, we're either, I think we're 10-1. and one. We're doing actually really well this year. We're first in the league, which is really exciting because um, I didn't really know a lot coming in here. Um, we're actually playing the team that's in second place this upcoming weekend, so that will be really fun. But, um, yeah, I can't ask for much more. I have very, very, very talented teammates. And it's really cool to see or play with all these players from different countries and learn from their different playing styles. I want to transition from your from your pro career to looking back for a moment on your gopher career. We have just a couple of minutes left. Um, what did it mean to be a gopher uh, growing up here in Minnesota and all of the experiences uh, that you were able to, uh, to, to, to have with, with Minnesota? Yeah, I mean, growing up as a Minnesota kid, it's always a dream to go to the U. Um, And coming over here now, I look back and I realize how much I miss it and how much I really did love it at Minnesota. And I would do anything to go back there the best four years of my life. And um, I guess I just couldn't be more grateful to be associated with Minnesota. What was it like uh, how everything ended, though? That had to be kind of a, a bittersweet situation because you guys were playing great and maybe, you know, a win or two away from, from uh, claiming the hardware here this past spring, and then the trap door kind of fell out on everything. Yeah, we had just made the NCAA tournament when we heard the news. And, I mean, I was in my self-pity for a few weeks and – but now looking back on it, I can't even imagine being a senior this year, having to go through everything they're going right now. But 
it definitely sucked the way it ended, but I was super thankful that I got most of my season with my teammates my senior year. That's professional hockey player Patty Marshall of Thief River Falls with MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm. That's going to do it for us for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station. Oh, one last thing. Don't forget to vote, Minnesota.